Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 22. It says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that sanctify the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the sanctuary takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by the Almighty's throne and by him who sits on it. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts. This will be the third lesson as we're going through Matthew chapter 23. And we've been seeing in the first 12 verses the corrupt leaders in the community at the time of Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees. Beware of scribes and Pharisees, Yeshua tells us. Corrupt leaders, do what they say, Yeshua says, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach and they tie heavy loads on people's shoulders um, and they won't use one of their little fingers to lift that load off of the people. I need to find a place to put this into the lessons and so I want to, before we get into verse 13 and following, I want to kind of parallel something that I should have done a couple of lessons ago and that's in Matthew 23 verse 4 where it talks about these heavy loads that the scribes and the Pharisees put on the shoulders of the community. I believe that that is the way or the method that they used in teaching the law. They taught the law as a checklist for justification rather than a guide and a way of life accompanied with mercy and grace. So when the scribe and Pharisee taught the law, it was like a hammer that beat you to a pulp and never, ever stopped condemning, condemning, condemning. Never any mercy, never any gospel, never any sweetness. But Yeshua did not teach like that. Hold your finger in Matthew 23 and turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I'm going to read a verse that I think a lot of you will be familiar with. Maybe you've never seen it in the light, but I'll share it tonight. But I think a lot of you are familiar with this verse in Matthew chapter 11, 28. This is our Lord. He is talking right here. And He says in verse 28, He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
In first century Israel, any time that you were a disciple of a teacher, it was said that you were to take the yoke of that teacher upon yourself. And it was as though your, your teacher's neck was in one side of the yoke and your neck was in the other side of the yoke. And you followed wherever he went. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, the way they taught the law was a very heavy yoke, very restrictive, very judgmental. But Yeshua said, come to me and learn from me and take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and I'm humble. I will teach you with mercy, something the Pharisees and scribes had omitted. It was a weighty matter of the law, but the scribes and Pharisees omitted that. And so we see the parallel here or the opposition or the contrast between the teaching of Yeshua being light. Come unto me. If you're heavy and you're weary and all you've heard is the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes, come over to my side and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble. I'll treat you with kindness. So we see the difference there between the scribes and the Pharisees and our Lord and Savior. Scribes and the Pharisees showed no mercy. So we turn back to Matthew 23. They were very prideful in their works. A lot of their works were additions to Yahweh's law. They were very showy about who they were and what they stood for. Remember the word Pharisee actually means a separatist. That's what the word, the Hebrew word parashim, from where we get the word Pharisee, that's what it means. They called themselves separatists. They separated themselves from all the commoners and they thought of anybody else that wasn't a part of their group as low class. And they were the upper shalon. And they were looking down at everybody through their nose, so to speak. Well, Yeshua, on the contrast to that, He's merciful when He talks to the crowds. He's very merciful. Um, He even told the scribes and Pharisees that the tax collectors and the prostitutes make it into the kingdom of heaven before they do. And I imagine that made them very upset when He told them that. But that's what He said. However, Yeshua, while merciful to the crowds and merciful to sinners who confess their sin and are broken in spirit and contrite in heart, He never turns them away. He's very harsh to the religious people. He's very harsh to the people who think they have no sin. Very harsh to the people who think they've got everything figured out and that they're better than everybody else. He doesn't pull any punches in regards to talking to them. And if we think that he's been harsh up to this point in verses 1 through 12 by saying they don't practice what they teach, let me tell you this. He's going to get more harsh in verses 13 through 22. He doesn't ease up. If anything, he gets harder on them. And that's because they needed not the gospel. They had not broken. They were not broken hearted. They were not broken in spirit. They needed the hammer of the law from Yeshua. And so therefore he speaks very harshly to them. And he begins in verse 13 with a series of woes, and there's eight of them. Scholars call them the eight woes upon the leaders of Judah. The eight woes. A woe like woe unto you or woe unto me, that is a pronouncement of judgment, sometimes calamity, punishment upon the nation of Israel. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5. I want to show you this in Isaiah chapter 5. The book of Isaiah was specifically written to the house of Judah in Jerusalem. The house of Judah, the two southern tribes of the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah chapter 5, 
we find a series of woes. And I just want to read these. I'm not going to explain them a whole lot, but you'll get the gist of them just by reading the text. We'll begin in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11. The prophet Isaiah says to the nation of Judah, Woe to those who rise early in the morning in pursuit of beer, who linger into the evening inflamed by wine. At their feasts they have lyre, harp, tambourine, flute, and wine. They do not perceive Yahweh's actions, and they do not see the work of His hands. Therefore my people, specifically the people of Judah, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1, Therefore my people go into exile because they lack knowledge. The dignitaries are starving and the masses are parched with thirst. Woe unto you. Obviously we see here, it should be easy to see, he's speaking to the men of Judah here that are drunk on alcohol. And he pronounces a woe, a judgment, a punishment, calamity. Woe unto you. Look at verse 18. 18 and 19. Woe to those who drag wickedness with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. To those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. Here we have people who are pulling sin along behind them like it's in a, a cart and wondering, well, let Yahweh hurry up so we can see his plan. We're not really sure if he's there. We need to see something in action. And until we do, we're going to just carry this sin, this transgression along with us. Isaiah pronounces a woe unto these people. Look at verse 20 through 23. Here we have three more woes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own opinion and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine who are fearless at mixing beer, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. Let's continue to read. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes straw, and as dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will become like something rotten, and their blossoms will blow away like dust. For they have rejected the instruction of Yahweh of hosts, and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore Yahweh's anger burns against His people. Once again, this is the people of Judah specifically. He raised His hand against them and struck them. The mountains quaked and their corpses were like garbage in the streets. In all this, His anger is not removed and His hand is still raised to strike. So we see here through the prophet Isaiah, not just in the prophet Isaiah, but you can get a concordance and look up the word woe, W-O-E, and you'll see through many of the prophets that Yahweh sent to the nation of Israel, they would say, woe unto you because you're in unrepentant, rebellious sin. In other words, they were like first century Pharisees. They had woes pronounced upon them or unrepentant sin in the camp, individually or as a nation. So, when Yeshua began to use the woes, the eight woes upon the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew chapter 23, they would have immediately understood his language to be the language of a prophet. They would have immediately known this is the speech of a prophet. 
Now, I'm not saying that they would have accepted him because they didn't. They did not like him. Just like many rebellious Israelites in the Old Testament did not like the prophets Yahweh sent to them. The scribes and Pharisees did not like the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, pronouncing the woes upon them. But Yeshua is a prophet. He's definitely more than a prophet. But he is a prophet. He's the prophet, the primary prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Yahweh speaks through Moses and says, A prophet like you will I raise up from among your brothers, and you'll listen to him. And if you don't pay attention and listen to what he says, I will destroy you. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 quotes Deuteronomy 18 and applies the ultimate fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, prophet, like Moses, to Yeshua, the son of Yahweh. And so we must listen to Yeshua of Nazareth. He is the prophet like Moses that Yahweh raised up from among the brethren. If we don't listen to what he says, we will be destroyed. Thus saith Yahweh, that goes not just for us obviously today, but for the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Let's read verse 13 again. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Now, this is the first use of hypocrites by Yeshua, describing the scribes and the Pharisees. I mentioned this before. It will not hurt to mention it again. The word hypocrite stems from the Greek language. Hippocrates, I believe, is the Greek word. The word was originally used for Greco-Roman actors and actresses on a stage in a play. They would, a lot of times, put masks in front of their face and pretend to be someone that they weren't and disguise their voice on stage in that particular play. There was nothing derogatory about the word Hippocrates, from where we get the word hypocrite, nothing derogatory about it, but it simply meant a stage actor or one who replied his lines in a play. Well, that word came to be used in a derogatory manner in relation to people who pretended to act holy, pretended to play the part, pretended to... Uh, be righteous, but in reality had no inward change of heart and had no inward change of mind. And so here we see a woe pronounced on the scribes, the Pharisees, and the hypocrites. And it says that they lock up the kingdom of heaven from people. Kingdom of heaven is a phrase used throughout Matthew's gospel as the ultimate salvation uh, that we can obtain, is to make it into the final consummating kingdom of heaven. But what does this mean that they lock up the kingdom of heaven? Um, They don't go in and they don't allow those who are entering to go in. Well, I think what it means is this. They're leaders in the community. And as leaders, they are supposed to be setting an example to people. When people come to them, they're supposed to see a true righteous man of Yahweh. And they're supposed to be able to hear true and righteous teaching from that leader in the nation of Israel. So therefore, when that leader becomes corrupt and sets a bad example, a hypocritical example, an example of not practicing what they teach and not teaching truth, in essence, they are keeping the keys to the kingdom of heaven away from the people. It's like they're shutting the door when they should be opening it with true teaching. The Bible is not against teachers. What is it? Acts chapter 8? 
Remember in Acts chapter 8 where there was a eunuch and he was riding in a chariot and the Spirit moved upon Philip to go to that chariot and Philip began to listen to the eunuch read. And the eunuch was reading out of what we call the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 52. And Philip, a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, Philip said, do you understand what you read? And the eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? And Philip began to do what? To explain the scriptures to the eunuch. Leaders, teachers, are supposed to be able to explain truth to people when they come to them with questions that need to be answered. That's opening up the door not shutting up the door. The scribes and Pharisees, locking the door, shutting it up. They don't go in and they don't allow those who try to enter to go in as well. I have to apply this to many pastors in Christianity today that are just like the scribes and the Pharisees and they lock up the kingdom of heaven to the people in the churches. I'm not excusing the people in church because Yeshua does say in Matthew 15 that if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Not just the teacher, but also the student. If you flip on the TV or the radio, for the most part, I'm not saying all the way across the board, but for the most part, you don't hear exposition of the Scriptures. Um, You hear uh, little sound bites. You hear a verse read. And then the, the guy that's supposed to be the teacher, he goes off on some kind of rabbit trail and he never talks about what the Bible actually is saying. I saw a video not long ago, wasn't trying to hunt it down, but somebody had shared a video and I saw it and it was this church and I can't remember where it was, it was somewhere in the United States. But before the pastor got up to preach, the stage was decorated with Halloween decorations and the, I guess you call them the singing team, or they probably call them the praise team or whatever, sang Michael Jackson's Thriller before the sermon. Now, I couldn't even believe it that that even happened. But I, I wouldn't have. If somebody had told me that, I'd think, man, you know, I need to check that out. That might be one of them crazy things, maybe going around on Facebook or something like that. <laughs> Let me check that out. But I saw it with my own eyes, and I'm thinking, you know, this is not of of Yahweh. This has no part in in the sermon from the teacher of Yahweh. Opening up my sermon with something like that. That's not even in the realm of possibility. Praise Yahweh's grace. But there's no exposition. It seems like there's anything except the Bible, and that is locking up the kingdom. That is not doing the job of a teacher. If you have a question, I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but if you have a question, feel free to come and ask me. Ask Brother Matthew. I will try to help you. If I feel like I know the answer, I will share it with you from the Scriptures. If I don't, I'll tell you I don't know. And we'll study it together. And we'll learn together. But far be it that teachers should, like the Pharisees, lock the door and not go in themselves and then not allow other people who are trying to go in to enter themselves because the truth is not being proclaimed. Let's move on to verse 14. 
Here's another woe, the second woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. Now, some manuscripts of the Greek New Testament actually do not contain this verse. If you're reading the HCSB, there'll be a footnote that tells you that. I think that the verse is authentic because you can actually find this exact same thing in the book of Mark, Mark 12, verse 40, and Luke 20, verse 47. And what probably happened was a scribe that was copying the manuscript of Matthew knew about Mark and Luke mentioning it and decided to put it here in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 23 because it was a woe. So it may not have originally belonged here in Matthew 23, but it is a biblical uh, indictment against the scribes and Pharisees because it's in Mark 12.40 and Luke 20.47. And in all three of these texts, they go together. Devour widows' houses and make long prayers for pretense or for show. They go together, and there's a reason for that. What do these two have in common? What does devouring a widow's house have in common with making a long prayer? Well, this is what was happening right here. If you study this out, even the book of Josephus talks about this. What the Pharisees would do is they would go up to elderly widow women and they would promise them that if they would donate their goods to their group, they would say this long blessing over them. Just give me everything that you have and I'll pray a good long prayer and a blessing over you. And the elderly widow woman would say, well, I, I could use a blessing. I, I could really need that. And so it was a way that they were stealing from these widows, but not you know, going up with a dagger and saying, give me everything you got. But it was theft by deception. I'll pray this long prayer. The long prayer wasn't from the heart. It was just for show, and it was just so they could have all these things donated to them. We know that the scribes and Pharisees were very greedy, because they already tried to get around honoring their parents by coming up with this Corban rule where they said that they could dedicate their belongings to the temple and they didn't have to take care of their mom and dad when they got older and they needed to be taken care of. So they were very greedy people. Well, here we have, they're taking all these widows' belongings and then saying, okay, now you've given me all your belongings, so let me say this prayer, grabbing their hand, oh, Heavenly Father, Maker of Heaven and Earth, and just praying this long, showy prayer for pretense, nothing from the heart. They're devouring widows' houses and making long prayers just for show. I don't have to go through all of the scriptures that talks about how that we're supposed to take care of widows that are widows indeed. Um, widows, the Bible teaches, under the age of 60 are to be taken care by the family, their families. And then widows that are above the age of 60 that are widows indeed and that meet certain requirements if they don't have any family, they're to be taken care of by the congregation. And so there's many scriptures. I'll give one, Psalm 68, verse 5. says that Yahweh is a champion of the widows. And so we should really look out for widows. If you want to find somebody to do a good deed for or to help out, look for a widow woman. The Pharisees were crafty by their deception. And at the end of verse 14 where it says, Yeshua says, this is why you will receive a harsher punishment. This is one of the verses that leads me to believe that in judgment, in Gehenna, translated a lot of times in your Bible as hell, every time you see the word hell, it's not the same Greek word. In this case, 
it's talking about Gehenna, as the next verse will show. There are various degrees of punishment. I don't believe that everybody is going to get the exact same punishment before the second death. There's various degrees. And he says here, they will receive a harsher punishment. That doesn't make any sense to me unless there's different degrees of punishment. So because they devour the widow's houses and pray these long prayers over the widow, because of this, they receive a harsher punishment. The Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, the Shem Tov Matthew, says they will receive a longer punishment, possibly playing off of the long prayers. You think you're going to get out of it by praying the long prayer? Yeshua says, no. You'll just receive a longer punishment. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice he's not easing up on them. He's getting harder and harder. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Travel, sea, and land is probably a figure of speech, hyperbole, uh, and it's, it's an exaggeration to make a point. It could mean that they did travel sea and land, but it probably means they just went to great lengths. They went to whatever lengths that it took to get a proselyte, which means a convert, to their group. Uh, various lexicons define the word proselyte as an arriver from a foreign region, a newcomer, or a stranger. Here, I think, in the context, it's a non-Pharisee. I think what the Pharisees are trying to do is say, we're really the true group within Israel. And unless you join our group, you really don't have, you're not part of the upper shalom. So they travel sea and land. They go to great lengths to get converts to their group, but when they make a convert, when they make a proselyte, he's twice as fit for hell. Literally, it says, he's twice a son of hell as the Pharisee. The word hell there is Gehenna. Gehenna um, is a Greek contraction word that is talking about the valley of Hinnom. Geh is valley. Hinna is Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom was a valley region outside of the land of Jerusalem, and it was the garbage dump. And it was where flames, or at least burning and smoke, continuously lifted up from the valley because all the garbage, it's like going to the, uh, the dump or the wasteland, all of the garbage was put in that valley, and the fire continually burned. And that became the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, became a word that was used for the final judgment. And so the Pharisees were sons of hell. That's a metaphor meaning you're fit for hell. You're destined for hell. And their converts were twice sons of hell because their converts not only had their own baggage, but when they converted, they also had the baggage that the Pharisees were going to give them. So they had two times. And so they're, they're twice the sons of hell. Sons of Gehenna are sons of hell. It is very similar to another title in the Bible called Sons of Belial. I think I've heard Brother Lon mention this before. Sons of Belial or Sons of Belial. Um, you can find this particular title in the book of 1 Samuel. And remember priest Eli? Eli was a Levite priest. He had two sons. They were Levites. They were Israelites. But they were called Sons of Belial. Literally, it just means worthless men. Later on, the term, the Hebrew term Belial became to be somewhat of an epithet for the devil or for Satan. 
You can read this in 2 Corinthians 6. What relationship or uh, uh, communion does Christ have with Belial? Okay? Sons of Belial means worthless, fit for hell, under the judgment of Yahweh. So these two Levite priests, the sons of Eli, Eli was not disciplining his sons, and he was reprimanded for that. But his sons were wicked. They were eating parts of the sacrifices that did not belong to them. And then they were laying with women at the door of the tabernacle. And Yahweh brought judgment upon Shiloh, Eli, and his two sons. It was, And I think that that's very similar here to uh, twice the son of hell here in verse 15. So uh, let's go over one more woe. Verses 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides. Now he's called them hypocrites. Now he's going to call them blind guides. Woe to you blind guides who say, well, whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Verse 17, blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that sanctify the gold? Then he says something else there they've been saying in verse 18. They say this, Well, whoever takes an oath by the altar, that means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that's on the altar is bound by his oath. Verse 19, Yeshua says, Blind people, blind guides, blind fools, blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Well, obviously it's the altar that sanctifies the gift. That's greater. And so Yeshua is saying this to them. I'll explain this more in a second. You can't get out of your oath by swearing by the altar and not the gift or by swearing by the sanctuary and not the gold. That's not a loophole. That's not a way for you to circumvent your oaths before Yahweh. The Pharisees had built up an elaborate system of oath-taking whereby they believed that they could take an oath by certain things and not be held culpable or reliable to meet the requirements of that oath. It would be like me crossing my fingers, putting them behind my back, and making an oath to Yahweh right here in front of you guys, and then going home and thinking, well, I don't have to keep that oath, because after all, I had my fingers crossed behind my back when I did that. See, that, That's silly. If you make an oath to Yahweh, you're supposed to keep an oath. It's not a sin if you refrain from making an oath, and what does the Scripture say? It's better not to make an oath than to make an oath and then violate and break that oath. Okay, So it's not a sin if you don't make an oath, but if you do, if you perform your oath to Yahweh, then you are required to obey what you have sworn. And all through the Old Testament, we see all of the patriarchs and, and holy prophets, they all took oaths to Yahweh, and they were very, very serious. And even when they were to their own hurt, they kept the oath because they were men of their word, at least the righteous men in Israel. Abraham made his servant Eleazar stick his hand under his thigh and swear by Yahweh when he would go take a wife for uh, Isaac, Abraham's son. Bring me back a good woman of our own people. Swear by Yahweh. Make this oath before Yahweh. Well, Eleazar kept the oath. He kept that which he swore to Yahweh. And so it did not matter. The Pharisees thought, well, if we don't say or speak the name of Yahweh, then we're not held required to keep our oath. That didn't matter. That didn't matter. They couldn't just say, well, I make this one by the sanctuary, and that means I can break the oath. 
That's what Yeshua is saying here. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 20. Look at this, 20 through 22. Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the sanctuary takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. Who is him? Yahweh. Verse 22. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by the Almighty's throne and by him who sits on it. Oaths are seen as oaths to Yahweh, period. There is no circumvention to get around them. And that's why Yeshua is pronouncing this woe unto you, blind guides, blind fools, and blind people. Woe unto you. Judgment is coming upon you. No matter how much you try to weasel out of it. And so we've seen four woes here in these verses. Woe unto you for locking up the kingdom of heaven by not teaching the truth to the people. Woe unto you for devouring the widow's houses and saying a long prayer over them. Woe unto you for going to great lengths to make a convert. But when you make one, he's twice the son of hell as you are. And woe unto you for building up this system of oath-taking whereby you think that you don't have to keep an oath if you say a certain kind of magical spell or say a certain phrase or words. Four woes so far that we've covered, and there's four more. Yahweh's will will cover them next week. This is harsh judgment that Yeshua is pronouncing upon the scribes and Pharisees. And the reason it's harsh judgment, catch this, the reason it's harsh judgment is because, just like in Isaiah chapter 5, remember when we read all those woes upon the nation of Judah, Yahweh's people that had forsaken His laws? Just like in Isaiah 5, these scribes and Pharisees are Judahites who have left Yahweh and His law. And therefore, the hammer of judgment is coming upon them. Because the nation of Israel were the only people that were given the law of Yahweh. Psalm 147, He's not dealt so with any other nation. As for His statutes, they have not known them. This is why Yeshua is coming down so hard on the scribes and the Pharisees. They're supposed to be the leaders. They're supposed to be the examples. But woe unto them, blind fools, blind guides, sons of hell. We'll pick this up next week in Matthew chapter 23, and I think we'll cover verses 23 through 28.